could. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Internet exists. I, I like to tell people I have to be who I am because of the work that I've done. I can't really hide it, even if I wanted to, which I don't. I'm proud of everything I've done. Which must be a little interesting for you, because when you first started getting into politics and activism, the Internet wasn't really that big of a thing. It didn't exist, to be honest. Uh, are we are we on now? Yeah, we're going right now. Uh, OK, all right, so, Nick, here's the thing. I want to start actually by saying howdy to uh, anybody who's watching. My name is David Cobb. Uh, I am a, um, I am a straight up revolutionary. Now, don't get alarmed. Uh, I'm a nonviolent revolutionary, but Nick, I am a revolutionary, which means I am attempting to help to restructure society, and I don't make any bones about that. Uh, and I say that for two reasons: one, because it is true. I do believe that the current system is fundamentally racist, fundamentally sexist, fundamentally class oppressive. And is, if that's not bad enough, and I hope we can all agree that's bad, but literally the huge transnational corporations are literally destroying the planet that we depend upon for life itself. So I'm a revolutionary as a matter of truth, but I also want to say it out loud on public spaces like your podcast and in casual conversations at the pool hall or the bowling alley or anywhere else I am because I'm trying to normalize that. I'm trying to give people the permission. If you, like me, believe that we are in the early stages of systems collapse, we should acknowledge that there's still time to do something about it and then ask ourselves, what should we do? So I just wanted to start that way and say, and you're right, I have a big uh, internet foot presence, right? Uh, footprint, as you say. Um, and I'm proud and I can walk us through who I've done and what I've done and why and so forth. But what I realize is from a very early age, Nick, I realized that this system was not fair, it wasn't right, and that it didn't have to be this way. I'm glad you started with that because I have probably heard your opening line of I'm a revolutionary probably 20 to 30 times <laughs> by now. So it's kind of interesting hearing you say that in person. What does that mean for you specifically that you want to abolish capitalism, that you think we need to kind of destroy the system to build up something in its place that we can alter our current direction without destroying it and just make minor socialist adjustments? What does that mean for you? Listen, what it means for me is as a revolutionary... Can you do me a favor? Just pull that microphone just a tad bit up. You bet. Perfect. How's that doing? Yep. All right. So, Nick, I'm glad you asked the question, right? Because if you'll notice, when I gave the spiel, I didn't actually say abolish capitalism. You did. Uh, 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 and I didn't talk about, like, dismantling the, or burn it down or anything like that. To be a revolutionary, as I understand it, is to restructure the systems. And our current systems, our social systems, our political systems, our economic systems, are, in fact, all incentivizing exploitation, oppression, extraction, power over domination. I believe it's possible to create new systems that incentivize cooperation, collaboration, power with, regeneration. Uh, and that means any number of things. Now, I'm a nonviolent revolutionary, so that means rather than smash the state or use arms to take over government, then there has to be a different path. My different path involves creation of a whole new system, uh, or pardon me, a whole new uh, 
ways to meet our basic needs. And in the vernacular, uh, some people call that non-reformist reforms. And I'm happy to go into it if, if, if you like or if that means anything to you. Yeah, well, what I meant when I said abortion in the sense that, or not abortion, abolition of, of our current structure, you feel that capitalism isn't sustainable. Correct. Right? Which would mean that we have to make some sort of adjustment. Correct. And in your sense, that doesn't necessarily mean get rid of it wholesale. It means to understand what it is. So uh, I'll say it. Let me back up one step. And I promise you I'll go into anywhere you want to go. Uh, but Nick, I, what I'll say is our overall worldview comes out of white supremacy, capitalism, heteropatriarchy, and settler colonialism, right? All of that is the power over system. I want to be in something different. So now I'm going to take the capitalism out of that because capitalism is an economic and political system, right? And the definition of capitalism is actually quite easy. Uh, and you, your viewers, listeners can go on to uh, any macroeconomics, introduction to macroeconomics, and it'll basically say this. Five characteristics. One, the ownership of the private means of production. Or the, pardon me, the private ownership of the means of production. Number two, that goods and services are produced as commodities to be bought and paid for at a profit. Number three, that profit maximization is the reason that all of this exists. Number four, that labor itself is just one more commodity to be bought and paid for on the market. And that is the fifth one. It's all allocated through the market. So what I would say is, yes, capitalism, if you understand what it actually means, is literally going to destroy the planet and it, it, it incentivizes it. Capitalism is coming to its end anyway because we are commodifying the earth faster than she can replenish herself. But deeper still, because it relies upon extracting the surplus value of the labor of the worker, it's going to end in the next 10 to 15 years anyway, as it's currently practiced, because workers are becoming unnecessary because of automation, robotics, technology, digital fabrication. It's an exciting time to be alive. Uh, but what happens if there's not a way for the worker to sell their labor on the market? How do you buy food? How do you secure housing? How do you live if everything is privately owned, but there's not a way to sell your labor? My point is, capitalism, as I understand it, is coming to an end. The question is, what replaces it? You don't think that it could pivot from a more manufacturer-based system to intellectual property or resources that live more on the internet? It's interesting. I think that absolutely that pivot is happening, and it's an like I'm not blowing sunshine up your ass. That is a very astute question. Yes, that is happening. But how do folks monetize their own labor in that system in order to, like, the wealth inequality is at a higher level now, Nick, uh, than it was before the Great Depression, before it was, like, uh, I don't see a way for what you just described, the, the digital economy, to be able to accommodate the billions of humans on this planet. There's not work for us. And you think that's why the system needs to fundamentally shift? 
I think that that is why the system is going to fundamentally shift. I think the system needs to shift because it's fundamentally racist, sexist, class oppressive, and destroying the planet. Those are two different get, things. I want to dig into that because is that, in your mind, fundamentally tied to capitalism? Yes. Is it not just our version, just capitalism in general? I think, as I understand capitalism itself, it is. Because remember that capitalism, look, oppression pre-existed capitalism. Make no mistake about this, but capitalism as the political economy is a historic arc, right? And really to understand capitalism as I've just defined it, and if, if you disagree with my definition, we should, I'd love to have that discourse and, and like help me, if I'm wrong, help me see where I'm wrong, right? Um, but as I understand capitalism as I've just defined it, it begins at its core in the enclosure movement uh, that, that really began in Europe where uh, people, my ancestors, I reckon probably your ancestors, uh, but certainly my ancestors from uh, Scotland and Ireland and were, were literally uh, kicked off of the commons, uh, the enclosure movement where the, the nobility literally said, okay, all of this uh, forestry, which was basically being used productively in what we'd call subsistence farming or agroecology or however you describe that, right? People were living in proper natural relationship. It's enclosed by the English nobility. Uh, they force a whole group of people then to begin to sell their labor. Uh, and then the, uh, uh, the, the enclosure movement morphs into a system known as mercantilism. Then it morphs into... Uh, a system of the beginnings of the industrial society and then into modern capitalism. And now we're in this new system. And so the sexism, the racism, heteropatriarchy are fundamental in that. No. And again, like that's why I'm, I keep trying to say we can talk about capitalism, but capitalism, the, the worldview is white supremacy and capitalism and heteropatriarchy uh, and the, um, the, the, so that overarching thing, capitalism is just the political economy. It's not the problem. It is inherent in a worldview. So capitalism is shaped by that umbrella, which is the yes. heteropatriarchy, the sexism. Correct. That's what that. I believe. I, I do believe that. Because again, look, it's just a political economy, right? It's ha like economy is actually a very easy concept too. Like we, we've been trained to think that only experts can have a conversation really about how the economy works. Do you know, Nick, it's an honest question. Do you know uh, the word economy? Do you know from what language it derives? I would assume Latin, but that's just a shot in the dark. That's a very good guess, but it's actually Greek. Um, uh, but it, it means, uh, uh, breaking it down, the management of the household, right? Like uh, the oikonomica, literally means the, the management of the household. And for uh, the Attic Greeks, the household was not just the house in which you lived. What they were trying to describe was the social, all of the social uh, systems and production and so forth, right? So really, the, when we talk about the economy, what I'm saying is how are goods and services produced and distributed. And it can be at whatever unit. It can be the family unit. Uh, it could be the neighborhood. It could be the, the city of Eureka. It could be the county of Humboldt. It could be, you get my draft, right? 
So to me, when we talk about the economy, we're just talking about how are decisions made about what is being produced and distributed and how they're being allocated. So do you think that we could change the worldview, the macro perspective, to eliminate those problems and still keep a version of capitalism? Ah, I, I think I now understand where you're actually going. And I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to really engage you like in front of your audience in genuine discourse, right? Because if I understand your question, let me make sure I understand it. If you're asking me, can we still have commerce and can we still buy and sell things and can we still incentivize entrepreneurship and, and so forth and uh, uh, eliminate heteropatriarchy, settler colonialism, white supremacy? Is that your question? Well, I, I guess what I'm trying to lay the foundation of with this is I'm trying to understand your perspective on society as a whole, because when I hear heteropatriarchy, when I hear sexism, I'm trying to gauge, is that systemic to us? Is that systemic to just the world? Is that systemic to capitalism? Because it seems like your direction to replace capitalism is a socialist bend. Yeah, it's a, it's a, well, it's a, look, uh, it is not, so yes, it is a socialist bend, but it's also not a power over imposed, uh, like state mandated bend. Like I'm actually a believer in the like people. the uh, I'm sorry, communal, the right? The people, right? I really do believe in bottom up. So, uh, and, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, I, I, I do think that there is a way to do commerce, to do business, uh, to reward all of that, uh, in a way that is fair and just, uh, and sustainable. Because I think you could definitely make an argument that capitalism at its root may not be sustainable. The, and the idea that I always go back to, I actually talked to my dad about this a while ago is that if in a capitalist society you're producing money off of cutting down trees, your job is to cut down as many trees as you can. You don't care about what happens to the earth. Your job is to cut down as many trees as you can. And you know in your lifetime you probably can't cut down them all. So what do you care? You're just going to keep cutting. But then the government, the people come in and check that with, okay, well, that's not sustainable. So would that be a realistic version of where we could go and what we sure. have done so, in the past? So Nick. As I understand your question, what you're arguing is, hey, couldn't we have a system where we used the electoral process and government to actually properly control the worst impulses of these psychopaths who are destroying the planet? Couldn't we have a better version of capitalism? Well, sure, we could have a better version of capitalism. Uh, it's not the world I want to live in. It's not, it's not enough, but we could absolutely have a better version of capitalism. Sure, I want to... We could. We could. But not enough in the sense that it's not enough for the people at the bottom? Correct. Look, for a number of things. Number one, because the, the world that I'm describing, like if we have private ownership of the means of production, that's always going to end up with somebody uh, uh, at the core of, you know, manipulating the system and enriching themselves at the expense of others. But doesn't that happen with socialism too? Doesn't it eventually, it might start oh, out as socialism, then it goes communism, and then it goes authoritarian? Uh, but look, uh, remember, I'm an anti-authoritarian leftist. Like I, what I'm trying to describe is to get away from some of the labels and say, well, what would it look like to actually create a society in which people's needs were met and that they were not, that they were not exploited, but that they were working uh, in producing the things that society really wants and needs. Because I'll tell you this, Nick. I do believe 
that we've been lied to and one of the, many in many ways one lie is that people are fundamentally lazy i don't think that's true that's not been my experience in the human beings that i come into contact with it's not what the science and the research shows um in fact you americans of this generation are the most tested human beings who have ever walked planet earth right uh, and that, tested how so by, uh, by Wall Street and by Madison Avenue to try to figure out what makes us tick, right? Uh, that, like we've been analyzed, like how can we motivate people to buy stuff, right? And what they, uh, the, the, the research shows really what people want, like what my niece has taught me to say, what they really, really want, right? Like little hat tip to the Spice Girls because I'm cool like that. I know Spice Girls. But you know what people really want, Nick? What people want is connection. What people want is meaningful, productive work for which they will be respected, acknowledged, and appreciated. Uh, we do seem to want a fair amount of sex, but I would say that that actually is just part of connection, right? What people really, really want when you strip it down to, to the things that really motivate us, like the hairless apes that we are, that's, we're kind of sweet, like... Oh, and you know, by the way, you know what science also shows that if for 99% of us, like if I, or I'm going to make it you, if you observe another human in acute pain, acute distress, right? And you come and rescue me from my acute distress. You know what happens? You get an endorphin rush. That's true for 99% of us. Helping other people is actually hardwired into our DNA. There's about 1% that that doesn't happen to. They're called sociopaths, right? But this is the point. Like, if we really understand it, Nick, I, I, I believe this. I don't think humans are angelic. But I don't think we're demonic either. I think that most of us simply do what we're incentivized to do and what we've been enculturated into doing. And the current culture is incentivizing greed. It is incentivizing power over. It is, it is creating this idea that there has to be winners or losers. And I just don't believe that's true. I think that we do our best when we're in community together. Uh, and that's why I often say, I'm a prepper. I'm preparing for the coming collapse, but I'm not hoarding food and guns and getting ready to go to war against my neighbors. I'm trying to help my entire community prepare for what I see coming, which is global ecological collapse. It's an interesting concept. And the idea that comes to mind is that sort of utopia where we're all living together. We're all helping each other out. Mm -hmm. We're trading, we're doing work that needs to be done at a community level. But are there any realistic world examples of that that yes. currently exist really yes all right first of all well you just said that currently exists so let me uh, i'm going to answer the question by saying we know that homo sapiens sapiens have been around like that like it, you take a homo sapiens sapien from about 150,000 years ago and if we you know dress them up and bathe them and put some clothes on them and put them in that chair you wouldn't you or i wouldn't be able to tell the difference right us I'm going to assume that you agree with evolution. So, okay. <laughs> this, this would be a very different conversation if I didn't, right? Right? <laughs> it would. But I don't think, because I've watched some of your programs, I wouldn't have reached out to you if I thought that that's 
the direction this conversation would have gone. But Nick, Homo sapiens have been around for about 150,000 years like that, right? You realize that for over 90% of the time that human beings have, Homo sapiens have been here, not humans, not hominids, Homo sapiens sapiens, we lived the way I just described. That's our birthright. Now, so that's number one. Number two, I can point to you examples, uh, the Basque region of Spain uh, of the 1930s. Remember, the one time that the totalitarian left of the Soviet Union and the totalitarian right agreed on anything at all was, okay, we're going to go to a world war over which worldview uh, is going to exist, except for one thing we both agree, whatever that experiment is happening in the Basque region of Spain, like, we got to destroy that. Why? Because this was a truly bottom-up, uh, uh, freedom-based, individual choice-driven process that was anti-capitalist. An amazing experiment that almost nobody has heard of. I have not heard of it. The anarcho-communists uh, of, of Spain. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually described in... For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway. That, that was the Spanish Civil War, the 1930s. There's a reason that somebody as clearly well-read and erudite as yourself doesn't know that example. I'll give you another example, the Paris Commune. Not trying to be a, 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 a prick here, but have you... Have you... Uh, no, I haven't heard of that either. All right, well, check it out. Uh, it was uh, a time where uh, people like myself basically took over the entire city of Paris uh, and began to function as a autonomous, self-governing people, and uh, uh, the Paris, uh, the the French ruling class uh, slaughtered them. 1649, the Diggers Movement of uh, uh, England. Are you familiar with them? Mm -mm. And again, I'm again. This is not me trying to be a jerk. This is no, saying, no. I'm not taking that at okay, all. Good, These are good. things I'm going to look into afterwards. Yeah. So, and what I'm getting at, Nick, is like I could keep going. Like there are lots of examples where these experiments began, and they get crushed by the ruling elite because they realize how dangerous that is. Yeah, but couldn't you counter that with there are also examples of the extreme of where this goes, where Hundreds of millions of people die through communism and starving. Dude, and remember, like, I'm an anti-authoritarian leftist. If, if we want to talk about how horrific uh, it is in North Korea, I get jump on board with that. Like, I'm absolutely not advocating for that, like, in no way, shape, or form. And I think it's interesting that you are clearly having a principled discourse with me, right? You're not, you're not trying to get me. No, I'm trying to understand. Exactly. I, and, and, like, that, I'm super excited that you are. And what I'm trying to point out is that I'm experiencing, oh, you've got some assumptions that I don't think I agree with. So that's what I'm trying to back up a moment and saying, oh, no, I'm not for the like uh, the 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 version that of of socialism that that would mean uh, like coming in and destroying individual liberty or forcing and mandating like that's not what I'm about. You're trying to create a separation between your version of it and the version that is always touted, right? That kills a lot of people. I'm yes, and I'm saying that there are lots of examples that don't do that, that nobody knows about, because our education system is, uh, as Lauren Hill 
uh, so accurately observed a miseducation system. Yeah, I mean, we could talk for hours about the education system. I'm not going to sing their praises. But I think it's when you have people that go off on their movements and try to create, or at least in my interpretation of people that I've come across that are anarcho-communists, and my very limited understanding of what that actually means to be one, they like to pick and choose examples of what could be without taking into account what has happened when these things have been implemented and the road that it goes down. Everybody starts off walking the road thinking, no, this is going to be the utopia. We can create this. It's going to be great. But sometimes it does, oh, it listen, does devolve. Sure. Like everything can devolve, right? Like uh, there's no doubt. And what I would say is, Nick, do you agree with me that if we don't interrupt the current system, that ecological collapse is beginning? Well, I think that's where I was going with unchecked capitalism. I think unchecked capitalism, could, could an argument could be made that it is dangerous. I think checked capitalism, where we institute some principles and some oversight so that we don't just destroy the planet, I think that would be a feasible feasible path. I mean, we feasible path. We see that with pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. Like that's the route that they're trying to go where there are incentives in the free market to get companies to do that, to pull out some of these greenhouse gases. So do we have the system in place to to regulate capitalism now? To the extent that I would think would be feasible? Yes. No, but I think we're making progress. So, and again, I'm in a discourse with you, right? I'm not yeah. trying, like- Oh, so, no, I'm not going to, you're not going to offend me, trust me. So we uh, can go, we can have an open, authentic uh, okay, conversation. Good. So, so thank you for that. Because look, I, what I really am trying to do is in front of other people, have the kind of conversation I have in pool halls and bowling alleys and- Oh, yeah, no, it's you just know, you and me shooting shit right now. Right, right. So, so here's the thing. What I would say is if we were going to have a government- of, by, by, and for the people that were able to actually uh, uh, properly regulate how commerce happened, we would have to acknowledge that we need a different governing system. Because right now, we have a, a U.S. Constitution that basically protects property rights over all other rights. Number two, that it's only about um, uh, individual rights. There is no understanding of human rights writ large. And as if that's not bad enough, there's no understanding at all about the rights of nature. Oh, and the real world view that I think that we should be embracing is the recognition that all life is, is uh, in an interconnected reciprocal relationship with one another. That's the indigenous worldview, right? So the point is that the current U.S. Constitution uh, and especially as it's been interpreted, has basically become a mechanism by which elections are a joke, uh, that the only people who you ever get a chance to vote on are, are, have already been pre-selected by the ruling elite. It's the reason why almost nobody thinks that uh, our current uh, electoral system works. And you know why? Because it doesn't. Except for it does in the sense that it does what it's designed to do, which is to allow a very small, not even the 1%, but the 0.01% to actually run everything with the illusion of democracy. Well, I mean, yeah, the two-party system is broken. And I think you can really see that with the Democratic Party and how they can basically push through whatever candidate they want. And that's the candidate that's going to get the nominee. 
how about be the that? nominee. How and about that? Yeah, it's sad. It, so by the way, if you're interested in, and your, your viewers are interested, check out a new uh, a group that's emerging out of California called uh, uh, Shit. It's about proportional representation, and I should actually have this. I'll, I'll uh, shoot it to you so that uh, you yeah, can take a look at it. Yeah, put it in the show notes, too. So but, uh, it's, uh, it's an effort. Do you, are you familiar with proportional representation? No, but I can kind of track with what that would stand for. So what it says, uh, it's, a, it's a voting system, right, that just says uh, rather than having a single member district where only one person can win, if you just get more that votes than the other person, you win. Uh, it, it says, no, no, let's have a system for electing multiple people, and if you get 20% of the vote, then you're, you get 20% of the seats. I do want to talk to you about voting and stuff mm -hmm. where you, did, you have been a part of this realm. But you kind of touched on something that I think really hits home with my hesitation towards the socialist or communist ideas, and that's the idea that we should move away from the individual. And I think that there is an argument that can be made that focusing solely on the individual is a problem. But I think that giving up individual rights in favor of group rights is also equally bad. So this is where we agree. Uh, I, again, like remember, I've been trying to use my words very carefully because I like I've I've watched some of your uh, your episodes. You're very smart. You ask probing questions, right? Uh, and so I've been really careful about trying to make sure, not because I think you're trying to trick me, because I'm trying to communicate with you and others. So remember. I believe in the power and the freedom of the individual, but not that would allow that any individual to exploit, oppress others. And that's where the, I, I think the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right? Like, so no, I don't believe uh, that, that uh, we should collectivize everything at the expense of the individual. No, I do not. I do believe that there is a way to celebrate the individual properly uh, within a collective process uh, that becomes uh, frankly, uh, one based on a harmony, if you will, right? Like in a choir, I get to sing, uh, and I should sing, but I should know what my, you know, what, what my range is, where I am in the choir, sing my part, right? Like, so I, like there, like this, it's not either individual or collective. Like there's, there's always a balance and there's always, I think, uh, a question of asking ourselves, well, have we struck the right balance in this moment, in this context? Well, yeah, I don't think anybody would make the argument that we're perfect in every way. We have a lot of stuff we need to work on in this country for sure. Going on that, you mentioned property rights. Mm -hmm. As related to the individual, as related to the group, what would that— Well, I mean, like, it, it, uh, it's an interesting question, right? Like, like the, the, we'd have to know the difference between real estate uh, property or personal property or, you know, uh, like, w like wh where does it begin? I mean, to me, I think that we're all connected to the earth and we all have sort of a birthright uh, into making sure that the ecosystem uh, is properly maintaining all of us. and the fish and the trees and the, and the birds and, you know, the bunny rabbits and all of them. And I say that as somebody who owns a house. Now, the bank owns it, right? But, but I'm buying it, right? Like, 
And so, and I don't think that what I've, what I'm describing is uh, unprincipled. I'm, you know, so again, in like, we'd have to explore what case what, by case, basis. case by case. And, and what are we inquiring about? Like, do I believe that people should be able to own their own home? Yes. Your issue stems more from the corporate aspect. Correct. The, 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 like, look, the, the, the corporatism uh, of... Treating a corporation as an individual. Listen, you, you know what corporate uh, personhood is? Yeah, but would you explain it for people oh, who don't sure. know? Oh, sure. So thank you. Uh, yeah, good, good, good point. So, you know, um, the idea of a person under law means that you have the ability uh, to assert and defend certain rights and that government itself is not allowed uh, to, to infringe upon them, right? Like, for example, I will argue that I have the right to marry who I want whether they're a male, female, or a non-gender conforming person, and that I don't need society's approval. So it would be illegitimate uh, for the state of California or the U.S. government to, uh, to pass laws. Now, they do, and they have, but it's an illegitimate infringement upon my individual rights as a person, right? So the question is then, well, who is a person? Do you know what percentage of human beings who lived on this continent uh, in 1787 when the United States of America was created and the Constitution was ratified? Do you know what percentage of human beings were persons under law? I don't know the percent, but I know it was land-owning white men. About 4%. So only land-owning white males were actually legally persons who could assert those beautiful rights that we've been ingrained to lift up in the U.S. Constitution. Now, do you know that corporations under law now are considered persons? That means that corporate lawyers can go into court and argue that any democratically enacted law uh, violates the corporation's rights. It means labor laws, environmental protection laws, worker safety laws. Like, we don't have even the semblance of the ability to control huge transnational corporations using our electoral process because the legal system ensures that even if we work our butts off in this completely ridiculous uh, system that doesn't work anyway, the electoral system, they've got a fail-safe called the courts that will allow them to overturn any legislation that we're able to get through this completely corrupted system. It's a hell of a trick that, that, that the ruling elite have done. There are a lot of blockades, I think you could phrase it that way, set up to protect businesses. I mean, too big to fail. You, you always run into that roadblock. Right. You, so your idea would be kind of devolving that and putting them back into the realm where we can touch Listen, them and hold them accountable. I want to be really clear about this part, too. I'm not anti-corporation. I'm pro-democracy, which means that the word democracy just means, demos means, do you know? I do not. Right, I'm getting a fantastic lesson over here. Demo, uh, demos means the people. Kratia means rule or power. So literally breaking it down, democracy means the people rule. Nick, do you think the people rule in the United States of America today? 
You don't. Uh, you know you don't. I mean, it's tricky. To what extent is yeah, how I would counter fair that? Fair enough. No, it's a, you. You are a cautious. Uh, 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 your discourse is very precise. So, and I appreciate that. But I'll tell you this: we can look at the the um, the the polling data and show that the overwhelming majority of people want to see a different society. There's no doubt about that. Now, what I would argue is this: that in a true democratic republic, individual rights would be respected, but we would also have a democratic process by which we decide how to organize uh, society writ large. We don't have that because corporations are literally – corporations, huge transnational corporations are not just exercising power. They're literally ruling us, which really means the small ruling elite that not just the 1% but the 0.01% are actually using the thing called a corporation in order uh, to rule over us. So when I say I'm not anti-corporation, but I still make a statement like that, it's because a corporation is just a tool. You know what language the word corporation comes from? I think you're going to tell me. You, you, but if you guess it, you'll be right this time. Oh, Latin? It is Latin. Corpus means body. And so corporation means the act of giving body to. So literally the word corporation just means to give body to. It's why in law school, like when a lawyer by training, to incorporate or a corporation is a legal fiction. What? That means it doesn't really exist in the real world, but we're going to pretend like this, con con like this conflation of people and contracts and, and buildings is all one thing, right? So here's what's interesting. The word corporation comes from Latin because the first corporations ever created by the genius of the human mind were done during the time of the Roman Republic. Not, by the way, the Roman Empire, but the Roman Republic. And the first corporations were used to build hospitals, universities, uh, roads. You know the, that famous all roads lead to Rome? All that intricate road system was, were built by corporations. Right? What do universities, hospitals, roads, the water system built by a corporation, what do all those have in common, Nick? I mean, they're all foundational to a healthy society. They are all foundational to a healthy society, and they're all public goods. The original idea of the corporation was to create a mechanism by which private money could be amassed and organized in such a way to perform public goods. That's phenomenal. That's fantastic. And if we had proper democratic control over that form of the mechanism of amassing people to do things in a democratic republic, I'm for it. That'd be great. Uh, the reality is that under the current system, it's not actually how it works. Do you know of the, like, another pop quiz for you, ready? How many colonies in the founding of the United States of America? 13. Did you know that 12 of those 13 colonies were corporations? I did know that actually from watching you speak oh. on it in one of your videos. <laughs> well, I'm honored that you did that. But isn't that interesting, right? So in a very real way, I would argue that the American Revolution was not 
merely a rejection of monarchy as a form of rule. It was absolutely that, and that's a good thing, right? But deeper still, it was a people's uprising against corporate rule. The, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, it begins, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to, it's a beautiful language, right? But most of that document is a set of grievances. And many of those grievances were a bit against the, the British uh, empire and royalty. But many of them were also very specifically against the use of uh, the British East Indies Company, the East India Company, and a whole series uh, of corporations. The American Revolution is literally a people's uprising against how that was operating. I think we agree with the need for checking corporations. I mean, you see that. Have you been following the Norfolk Southern? How, how could I not? It's, it is just, it's insane that it happened. It's insane that they decided to do some controlled burn or however they're branding that. And that the company is basically the one heading the cleanup and heading all of the efforts around it. You would think that would be one of those situations where we might want some oversight. We might want somebody coming in and, I don't know, actually running the show and paying attention to what's going on. I think where we kind of differ, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that capitalism is savable in what it stands for. I just don't think we've gotten to the point where we're really doing all the work that we need to. I think we're still letting corporations run the show. The average guy's kind of still getting screwed over, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the system is broken or that we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, I, look, I definitely don't want to throw a baby out with the bathwater, right? Uh, I, I do think that we probably have disagreement about, uh, uh, you know, how much we could maintain of the current system. But I guess to me, what I'd say is, well, like, let's, then let's try. Like, let's, like, look, I, uh, I believe in, in what I call non-reformist reforms, right? Uh, like reforms that can exist within the capitalist system, like let's make them. Let's let's absolutely do things like public banking and participatory budgeting and worker-owned cooperatives and community land trusts and like a whole, like let's do those things. Uh, absolutely, I want to do those things. Uh, do I think that it's going to ultimately be enough? I don't, but I've been wrong before. Like if if we can make this system work, I'm for it. Let's try it. Yeah, you seem very big on the idea of not waiting for the government to catch up. That's the correct. The people driving it, and then it doesn't matter if the government catches up because you have the people there. Correct. You're absolutely right about that. Like I, I am. Like I engage the electoral process, Nick, but I'm not an electoral fetishist, and I absolutely don't think that some abstract thing called the government is going to actually solve our problems. I think that we ordinary people can solve our problems, and I'll tell you, any like. Were you around uh, during the earthquake? Have you been? Have you ever been involved in any like natural disaster where there's like, and 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 what was your experience like when when there's a natural disaster? What's the very very first thing that happens? I always check in with the people around me. How about that? You don't call the government and ask for help. You don't wait for government to come. You you check in with those around you. And I'd bet a dollar to a donut, if they need help, you probably do your best to help them. 
this is it's not rocket science, right? Like like I really do believe that if we unleashed the power and the passion and compassion of ordinary people, we would be living in a much different society. How do you encourage people to go above and beyond in your ideal system where it's all communal based? It's people. The thing that I, I seem to always come back to in a few of your videos is you have these people that are working mindless jobs for no pay. They do not enjoy what they're doing. Those jobs still have to be done. And not to say that we need to just find bodies and shove them in those jobs, mm -hmm. right? But at least, again, in my limited understanding of the capitalist system, somebody will fill that role. It doesn't have to be forever. Hopefully, it won't be forever. Hopefully, they'll be able to start there and rise to another circumstance, and that will carry on through well, their children. But, so here's something interesting, though, Nick. Like, if I understand what is happening in this next wave of digital fabrication, automation, robotics. Those jobs will already be filled. Yeah. I mean, we're living in, like, we could be living in paradise right now. Like, literally. Like, we could be living, uh, if we had democratic control over the economic system and we were using the technology and the knowledge and the power, like, we would be living in a way where most of us would be allowed to do pretty much what we wanted because most of us would find ways to to express ourselves, et cetera, right? Like, so, like, the things that have to be done, I think that we could organize ourselves to actually do those things. I don't think that we need, like, government to mandate it and we don't need corporations to mandate it. I think that from the bottom up, we could figure that out. We're definitely going, well, I mean, we are in a very interesting time. But I think in the next 10, 15 years, it's going to rapidly expand. Oh, we're yes. going to be, I always link it back to we could be in a place like ancient Rome, where you have these philosophers and these people, and it's not this slog of you have to go do this job and, and work and die. And that's the system that you're set up and that we could enjoy, not necessarily a more leisurely lifestyle, but just a more freeing yes. lifestyle where you get more of your time back you and i are in complete agreement about that but i don't know if that's a we could do that mm -hmm. we could on paper but is it feasible would that really work out what does that look like in a world that is as chaotic as the world that we actually live in i mean that those are all fair questions and that's why like the all all of the work that i do and have been doing is an effort to experiment with well what would that look like how could we actually do that and that's why i mentioned the non-reformist reforms like like these are very concrete achievable things that can be done right now uh and are being done like do you know that california is uh the first state to allow a public bank in 150 years do you know what a public bank is it, no, I'm not even going to venture a guess. I've heard you talk about it. I think I could say what it is, but do you want to? You want to lay it out for me again? Like a, when I ask these questions, it's not to like trip you up, right? It's like to, no, I just don't want to get it wrong. And then got it. So, so like, and I'm not being a, I'm not being an ass here. So, a public bank is different uh, than a private bank because it's publicly owned versus privately owned, right? Banks are ways to finance things, right? And our current banking system. Uh, is privately owned by shareholders. And the, the whole point is to return as much profit as you can to the shareholders, right? 
a public bank is owned publicly, so you democratize finance itself. And what it allows us to do in a capitalist economy, we could create a public bank that says, okay, um, everything is going to be the same except how we finance public projects like uh, roads and bridges and, and public buildings. Do you know what percentage of any public project now goes just for the privilege of borrowing money from Wall Street? It's 50%. Fully half of the cost of, you know, the Bay Bridge that, that, that uh, you know, what is it? I think they, people say it's, oh, it cost $8 billion. Actually, $16 billion by the time it gets paid off. The privilege of borrowing money from Wall Street doubles the cost. And that means labor. That means material. That means administration. That means everything just for the privilege of borrowing the money. A public bank says, well, we'll just have, we'll just eliminate that. But what's the incentive then to, to put your money in a public bank? Are you still getting a return? Or are you still? Well, in the, in the case of California, we're creating, California law 857 has allowed the creation of up to 10 local or regional public banks, but the only depositors of those banks can be uh, local or municipal or county government. So it's not even, it's not even a, a, what's called personal lines in banking. This is only for uh, government. Instead of depositing into Wall Street, government can just create its own bank and bank itself. So it's not individuals doing it. It would be your local government Correct. putting the money into there. Yep. Doesn't that get a little tricky? I mean, we both live here. We've seen the roads. We've seen all of the money that goes to the roads. And we don't see a change in the roads. I mean, that's the example I always fall back on is we're dumping. I mean, thank God we have these ADA compliant corners because those are going to be the only nice parts of our streets here pretty quick. Believe me. Right. And that's the current system, right? Like, so I'm just pointing out, like, I don't think, I think that you're criticizing the current system, uh, not what I'm describing. No, you're, I get where you're going, where you're not paying Wall Street. You're essentially cutting out the middleman who really doesn't need to be there but he has his hand in the pot, so he's going to get his cut. I just think that that's... Well, I mean, it, all it's, I'm an, saying it's an interesting idea. It is a very banking, interesting idea. To be very clear, like you're the one who says that you, you're, you believe and hope that, that somehow we can make capitalism work. I'm saying a way to do it would be public banking. That would take, like, you wouldn't have to restructure society. You wouldn't have to restructure capitalism. You wouldn't have to do anything else. All you would do is say, we're going to create this thing called a public bank, and you literally eliminate half of the cost of every public project, which amounts in Humboldt County alone uh, to hundreds of millions of dollars every year. It's a heck of a thing. That's just one. And it saves, I mean, it theoretically would save people tax. Oh, we know theoretically. it does. Yeah, but then they're no, no. just going to jack up costs for something else. Well, I mean, the money never gets dispersed backwards. How about that? So, so like, it's almost like you recognize that yeah, we're going to have to restructure some things. Well, I don't necessarily have an argument against public banking. I don't, I don't see any problem with cutting out Wall Street. I think that it's, that is almost like putting a Band-Aid on a crack in a dam. Well, like, again, well, like you're fixing something, but are we really fixing what's going I on? I said here? it was a non-reformist reform. I mean, like now you're arguing perhaps that we Maybe need to restructure. Do more, yeah. yeah, how about that? Like uh, again, 
Uh, by the way, what time is it? Just because I want to make sure. How are we doing? Good. Two o'clock. Oh, great. We're doing good. Uh, so, so public banking is just one thing. But wait, there's more. What if we had... Uh, participatory budgeting. There you go. And do you know what participatory budgeting is? I, I have come across that in a number of your videos as well. Those two are, are ones you really like to I ha hammer back on. I do, because, because these are things that can be done and are being done right now that democratize the system without having to restructure the system. You know, participatory budgeting is just creating public mechanisms that empower people to actually meaningfully participate in how the decisions are made. For example, in um, the places where uh, participatory budgeting have, have worked, and, and again, it's all over the globe and in the United States, there are many, many examples. And what you do is say, and by the way, Eureka is experimenting with it. Arcata is experimenting with it. I hope the County of Humboldt will start experimenting with it. It's to say, all right, we're going to take some amount of money and we're going to actually allocate it to a public process and allow the public to make the decision. And in Chicago, where it, it's been used very effectively, is uh, where they've said, okay, in your, uh, in your neighborhood, or each alder person, right, has a certain amount of discretionary money. Instead, what we're going to do is say, in the community, would you like to see a community center, a library, another health clinic, uh, beautification, uh, community gardens? Like, these are all good things, right? Well, instead of just having a system where we do now, where we just show up and yell at our elected officials because we didn't get our way, imagine creating a mechanism to say, all right, we've got to talk to each other and make the case on what is it that our small community, uh, our neighborhood really would best utilize this for, and then make some decisions. And then you could use cumulative voting. You could use any number of mechanisms to allocate that money. But do you see the difference between just having an elected official and some abstract thing called the government making the decision for us and creating a mechanism to say, let's actually devolve this to ordinary people who are going to live with the consequences. And then the neighbors who you see and have to engage with on the day to day, like, like if you show up and say, it's got to be a library. And I show up and say, we desperately need a health clinic. At the very least, if we're neighbors, I have to look at you and I have to listen to you. Like, I think that there is one of the things I think Nick, that, that you and I are coming to is we, I think we both definitely believe that the current system of out there, Wall Street, you know, government in the abstract is not the answer. So what would be the answer? I'm, what I'm suggesting is I think that at the local level, we can create systems where ordinary people could be empowered to make those decisions. One of the things I wanted to ask, because it seems like these points that you keep hammering back on, it seems like, at least from my cursory understanding, that you've been talking about this realm of ideas for a long time. Is mm -hmm. it frustrating for you that things haven't changed as much as you would like, or do you feel like they have, that progress has been achieved? Because I mean, oh, you, you, you've, you've been in this realm, you've been in the political game for a long time. <laughs> it's, uh, it's true. I've been, I've been trying to make social change for a long time. You know, I was in the anti-apartheid movement as a student. By the way, apartheid ended. I'm not saying I did it, but I'm saying I played a role. Uh, so, you know, yay that. Um, 
And I also think, Nick, that I what I've come to understand is what I'll call a political but also a spiritual practice. My cosmology, my worldview, the goddess, as I think about the, the divine, um, does not expect or demand that I win or succeed. That's not the, t- that's not my, uh, that's not my assignment. What I'm supposed to do is my best. And so I do my best. I try to understand the world honestly. I try to, to make and implement plans in a principled way with integrity to the best of my ability. I try to make adjustments based on uh, what I'm learning. And then here's the key part. I release the result. I mean, I can say I have tried a lot of things. Some things have succeeded. Lots of stuff has failed. And on the one hand, I could say, oh, my God, the evidence of my failure is all around me. I want to live in a peaceful, just, democratic, and ecologically sustainable society and look at the shitty world I live in. But that's not, like, I don't have the agency to, to snap my fingers and make things differently. All I can do is to try to persuade other people to join me and work with me to try to make the changes that I think might make a good, like, and again, these are experiments. These are ideas. Like, if, and if they're, if they're bad, I'll, I'll, like, let's change them. But no, I don't get frustrated because when I am in my proper philosophical, spiritual place of, I'm just doing my best, Nick, you know, and uh, and I've made a lot of mistakes, uh, and some of them are embarrassing mistakes, and some of them were, oh, that was, that seemed like, like, I understand why I thought that was the right thing to do, but boy, in retrospect, the data <laughs> shows that that was really a boneheaded move. Let's try it again. Like, you know, I, none of us ever, like, we all have self-views, like, everybody's the hero of their own story, right? Everybody. But none of us can say with honesty that we're always conducting ourselves in the most principled, most integrity. Like we're never the best versions of ourselves, but I strive to be. Would you say that that is kind of the ethos of the Green Party? Yes. It's just that incremental movement of the goalpost. You guys are just trying to move slightly forward. Oh, well, that's interesting. So, so uh, no, in that case, I should let you finish your sentence. So the Green Party has at its core four interconnected set of values, peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. So what we're saying is our worldview is based on how we believe society should operate and how government should operate. And all of our policy proposals derive from that. So because we are an electoral party, it is incremental by definition, right? Like, we're engaging in electoral politics. Uh, and so, you know, that, that, that is an incremental approach. But incremental even more so by comparison to the Republican and Democratic parties or Democrat parties, because, I mean, when you, especially, okay, so take 2004, for example, when you did, when you were the nominee, did you have any expectation of competing at an equal scale? No, or? of course not. Yeah. I mean, of course not. Like, uh, I. Is that demoralizing when you're, when you're running this campaign and, Obviously, you want to win. Like yes. That would be the perfect Look, scenario. I, I, would, I would be very clear. I think that uh, in 2004, uh, I was perfectly prepared to be president of the United States. And not just because the previous inhabitant of the White House had set the bar so damn low. Like I, I really think that Greens could govern and govern well. 
but what's demoralizing is to be in a system where I wasn't allowed to be on the debates, even though I wasn't like, I was arrested for goodness sakes, just trying to go on to the public university where the debate was being held. They arrested me and the libertarian nominee, Michael Badnerick. And we were just going to uh, issue a show cause order to the privately owned Commission on Presidential Debates, controlled by the Democratic and Republican parties uh, that have created a sham uh, perpetrated on the American people. So when you, when the Green Party puts up a candidate, mm-hmm. What is, I guess that's what I meant more so by incremental step. Is that just almost a show of, we know we're not going to win. We know that this isn't going to garner some national wave of support, but it is going to show people do care about these certain Or president, yes. But remember, Greens- You guys do local Greens, not only do we run in local office, do you know that uh, the the data shows, and look it up, the data shows that Greens- in, if you just look at local elections only, we win about 40% of the votes, uh, uh, 40% of the times that a Green Party person runs in a local nonpartisan race, not just in Humboldt County, but across the country. If it's a local nonpartisan race where you don't have to choose between a D, an R, or a G, just people with ideas campaigning at the local level, we win about 40% of those races. What is the relation between ones that are partisan versus oh, we 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 get destroyed in partisan races why because people have been brainwashed into thinking that you can only vote for a d or an r that is so crazy the people that are blue no matter who or red no matter who it is such a flawed way of thinking about Isn't the system it, it is like uh, it's it's amazing to me that like like really like what color hat you have on is what really matters and not the proposals that they're making, not the substance of, substance the, person. of the person, like the character. Like, again, like you and I are in complete agreement here that this two-party system uh, is really a big part of the problem. And again, do you know where in either our constitution or what law created the two-party system? I don't. It's a trick question. There's not one. There's not one. It is literally the voting system itself that has encouraged the creation of the two-party system. It's also why I really am uh, pleased that, uh, that in California, at least at the local level, we have nonpartisan races, right? Like uh, the, and, and uh, by the way, that, what that means is like when somebody's running for supervisor, they just are running for supervisor. They can be a member of a party, but on the ballot, it's not identified. That one small thing changes tremendously what kind of campaigning happens. And I'm really excited, Nick, to tell you about something called the North Coast People's Alliance, which is an effort to bring together folks that says, regardless of what party you're in, can we agree that no candidate running for office should ever seek or accept corporate money? Can we agree that any candidate that we want to support would agree to racial justice, environmental justice, worker justice? Can we have that agreement? Because if we can, then I argue, well, then we can bring together progressive Democrats and Greens and socialists and declined to state and even principled Republicans 
to come together and have the political power to begin to influence elections. I mean, that sounds great on paper, right? Well, let's find out. Yeah. Uh, It's an experiment. I don't know. I don't know if we can get back to a place where where people can come across the aisle. It almost feels like we have gone so far and people have become so polarized now that I'm in my group, you're in your group. You don't believe that, Nick. And you know why I know? Because you do this show called Growing Pains. Like, you're not making a bunch of money on this. Why are you doing this? You could argue that it's for a very selfish person or purpose because I get so much out of these conversations. I always say that the the act of it being a podcast is just a byproduct of me wanting to talk to these people, wanting to talk to you, wanting to sit down and see what do you actually think about this? How do you actually feel about when you say you're a revolutionary? What does that actually mean? Me trying to understand you on a personal level. But I don't, I mean, are most people trying to do that? If you go, if you spend... 30 seconds talking to somebody in person, yes. But the real world is not the internet world, and the internet world is not the political world. Ah, but look, what I'm saying is, like, why not? Like, what, what if we were actually striving to say, let's literally understand each other to the best of our abilities, and then let's, like, figure out how, like, because what I'm telling you, Nick, is, like, I think that things are polarized because of systems that are way larger. Like, again, I don't think that most people are angelic. I don't think that most people are demonic. I don't think that people who uh, disagree with me are bad people. Like, you know, I think that there's about 1% that are in fact sociopathic, right? I think that there are some really deeply damaged people out there, but that's not true of most folk. Most folk that I have come across are decent human beings that are just trying to do their best. I, that's, I really believe that. And I've got a neighbor who's got a, a, a Trump sign up and we are pleasant with each other and we have nice conversations and et cetera. Like we have different political ideas. So why is that not reflected at the national level? Because I think we would all agree that. We would all agree that if you actually sit down and talk to somebody, you're probably going to get along with them. They're probably reasonable. They're because not some crazy person. we have a system an electoral system, a political system, an economic system that is not attempting to facilitate dialogue and discourse uh, and compassion and understanding each other. We have a system that is based on a power over only one side can win, like, and it's manifested. Like, again, a voting, if we had a voting system of proportional representation uh, or preferential voting, there's any number of things Like, and again, the data is clear, the research and the lived world experience around it is very clear. The polarization is driven, being driven in part by a two-party system. Do you think that we'll ever get to a point in time again where a third-party candidate has a chance? Yes. You do? I do. And uh, like, do you know the last uh, third-party president that was elected? Uh, Fillmore was the 13th president. He was the big party. Abraham Lincoln. Really? Abraham Lincoln ran, I thought he as, was... ran as a Republican, which was a third party, because the Whig party and the Democratic party uh, were the two-party system of the time. That I did not know. I thought, oh, I always thought it was the Democrats and the Republicans. No, the Whigs. Wow. And do you know why the Republicans replaced the Whigs? 
because the Whigs and the Democrats both agreed on slavery. And the Republican Party began as an abolitionist party. And it grew because it was a growing movement from ordinary folk uh, who were saying slavery should be abolished and the two-party system of its day couldn't control it. I'll argue this. I think that there is coming a time where neither the Republican or the Democratic Party are going to be able to maintain control over the growing growing movement that is actually saying we need both environmental protection and ordinary people have to be taken care of. Yeah, but they almost have the system pretty well rigged right now. They sure do. I mean, it's not like we're in the... 1800s where you you can build this grassroots movement. You just you just asked me if I thought that it was possible and I, I I answered the question honestly. I didn't say I thought it was going to be easy. I didn't even say that it was going to be likely. I'm saying I think it is absolutely possible. But Nick, remember I engage in elections, but I'm not an electoral fetishist. I spend most of my time trying to incorporate and incubate worker-owned cooperatives and community land trusts and public banking and participatory budgeting, uh, universal basic income. I mean, like, uh, I actually have a plan that I'm doing my best to implement uh, that's trying this not in, let's say, in parallel with the electoral process. And I occasionally engage in elections, but... I actually don't think elections are where ultimately our, our, our salvation lies. Like, I'll engage with elections, but it's just one more front of struggle for me. Well, that's the common theme, right? That your day-to-day life is going to be more impacted by your local politicians than the national stage. True. And your day-to-day life is going to be impacted much more with the quality of relationship with neighbors and your spouse and your children than, than your city council member or your board of supervisor and even the decisions that they make. I mean, local elections matter, no doubt about it. Uh, and I just don't think that elections are the end-all be-all of social change work. Well, I would like to believe that a third-party candidate has a chance at the national stage. I would like to think that we're going to get to that point because you see, I mean, look at how chaotic 2016 was. 2020. It's going to get worse. 2024. Oh, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. There's no doubt about that, right? And again, look, I'm going to back up for a second, Nick, and tell you that I genuinely believe that I have an understanding of big picture what is happening. It goes like this. Oh my God, we are in an ecological collapse. It's not coming, it's beginning. We're already seeing that happen. And it's an economic collapse because, again, not only are we destroying Mother Earth faster than she can replenish herself, but the way that capitalism uh, has been operating relies upon the extraction of the surplus value of the worker Automation technology robotics is not allowing that anymore. So we're actually seeing an economic uh, crisis beginning. And those two crises, the ecological crisis and the economic crisis, are creating a political crisis. The political crisis is that the political system can't do what it's designed to do, which is to maintain order. 
it, it, and, and so fascism is emerging for the same reason now that it emerged in the 1930s. And I'll tell you, I think I can tell you exactly why fascism emerged in the 1930s. Are you ready? Because the entire global economy and the entire system was morphing basically from an agrarian society to an industrial one. And people felt, felt and sensed that, oh, it's like profound changes and shifts are happening. This is terrible. And, and fascism does have the benefit, as horrific as it is, the benefit of saying, here is a simple, easy to understand solution. And it's us versus them. It is highly nationalistic. It is a, re a return to the old days. It is uh, authoritarian. There is a very clear, like, solution to that problem of chaos. Fascism is arising today because society is being reorganized and everybody incenses it, even if they don't intellectually exactly understand what the, what the heck is actually happening now, but everybody is sensing these things, right? Nick, what I'm telling you is that fascism is emerging because the fascists have a clear, fairly easy to understand explanation. It's horrific but it's an explanation. The idea of fascism gets thrown around a lot today. It's got a definition though. Do you, you would attribute that to far right individuals. I would say that, yes, that, that when, when there is totalitarian far left, it's a different word. Uh, like, but, but fascism is the merger. One of the great fascist, philosophers was Benito Mussolini. Remember, he was a fascist dictator, but he was also a, a, a philosopher, and he, he, was, he was for fascism, right? He famously said, fascism more properly should be called corporatism because it merges the economic might of our national corporations with the military might of our nation state. And remember, he thought that was a good thing. So, yes, fascism does, in fact, have a definition. Uh, and I do think that the, uh, as that definition operates, it is a far-right phenomenon. Now, do you think that that translated means that the far-right are more of a threat to democracy today than the far-left? Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, look, when people talk about, uh, like— uh, the 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 right wing anger, you know, they're the ones who brought us uh, Charlottesville and the January sixth insurrection. You know what? Like left outrage brought us the forty hour work week, women getting the right to vote, the Social Security Administration. I mean, there's a reason that I would self identify as a leftist. Well, that's not entirely accurate. I mean, you have a ton of far left extremism that name some. Well, you've had, I mean, shit the riots. Which Over the past few years, there were riots. You you could argue what was the most recent one was down in Carolina, Georgia, where this it was an activist who I believe attacked a cop and was shot and killed. And they say Antifa, but I don't know. Some activists went through the town and were burning down buildings. And that's I I, I I'm not being I'm not being obnoxious. I literally don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I believe I, I want to say I it was in Georgia, but I can't. I don't have it off listen, the top of my head. But there are there are examples of I don't know if you would far left extremists 
you had what was the Chicago, not the Chicago, oh, the bomb. Haymarket, I, the, the Haymarket, uh, bomb, uh, the Haymarket uh, uh, bombing in Chicago in the eighteen. That that what you're talking about? I don't know if that's the one that I'm talking about. I'm. What is that one? Haymarket was uh, actually the the creation of what ended up being the forty hour work week uh, and Labor Day. Uh, it, it happened on uh, May Day, uh, where the rest of the world celebrates uh, <laughs> Labor Day. Uh, that may be what you're talking about, where uh, anarchists were accused of throwing some bombs, uh, but they found out later that uh, they had been framed. That's kind of an interesting story. If if the Haymarket check rebellion, that, yeah. the Haymarket. check out the I don't Haymarket. Know if that's the one I'm thinking. Of. But there are. Listen, I, I feel look, comfortable. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel comfortable saying that the left can be just as extreme as again, like the right. I, 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 I maybe that's maybe that's unfounded. Maybe I'm. Maybe it is. I mean, I, again, like that's why I asked you very candidly, like give me some examples so we could actually talk about it because I know that there are right wing talking points about Antifa and the far left. Well, the it's right. Like, I mean, there are. I don't know if maybe I'm confusing riots, throwing riots in with it, but there have been riots that Almost, are perpetrated look, by uh, the left that uh, get pretty I don't extreme. Actually, I don't actually think that's true, Nick. And I, I mean that very sincerely as somebody who has organized lots of demonstrations and protests, as a as a somebody who's committed to peaceful demonstrations, I can tell you— uh, You don't like, think that there are any left— Protests that devolve into chaos. I think that almost every time I've been involved in them, it's because there's been a police overreaction uh, or the Proud Boys or, uh, you know, like the Boogaloos or some of these other crazy, like, right-wingers who are trying to provoke uh, 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 folks have typically been the ones responsible for it. That's why I wanted to ask, give me some examples so that we could talk about them. I wish you had your computer so we could actually look it up and— and have a have this conversation because again the the all of the protests and demonstrations that I've been part of that were on the left have been peaceful doesn't that feel kind of like a cop out saying that it, the ones that do devolve into that are provoked by right wing no it, it's it, like let's talk about them like like again like show me one and then we could like look into it but well they definitely you could make an argument that they have been provoked in the sense of the police killing an innocent person, what was the? I mean, you had the George Floyd mm-hmm. protests, but those were violent protests. You've had BLM protests again in regards to cops that have devolved into violent protests, not mm-hmm. necessarily because of a right wing instigation. No, it, almost but every in time, response to the ones, the one, the Black Lives Matter protests that that I saw, every single one of them that got out of hand can be tracked to the police overreacting that like almost every single one. That's why I said, let's actually talk about them because I actually do have some knowledge about most of those right in uh, St. Louis, for example, like, like, and every time there's been a debrief, like, okay, let's understand what happened. And remember I was in Seattle in November of 1999. That was all an example of what about the cops? We're going to have to wrap. Okay. Quick. What about the Chaz? I'm sorry, Chaz. In, yeah. The, yeah, the, Citizens occupy oh, autonomous yeah. zones. Oh man, like a, a good example, like that. Like there was clearly uh, bad actors uh, at play there, no doubt about it. But that was a left movement, and they occupied this uh, whole I'll, area. I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah, uh, your point is made. Again, well, like, not, I just think to say that it's all right is just as absurd to say it's all left. I think then, then I'll I'll give you that one. Yeah. I would say 
if we sit down though and start like putting pencil to paper, uh, you're going to find a vast majority on one side or the other. Like you will definitely find exceptions to the rule, but there'll be exceptions. That's I genuinely believe that, Nick. Could be wrong, but we you could have me on again sometime after you've done the yeah. research, and we could. We'll have to do this again we, for sure. I mean, I, I've enjoyed the conversation. I do want to make sure to invite you and everyone else to a website called Decolonizing Economics. Uh, it is an effort to explore how do we take these ideas and put them into practice and talk to people who are actually doing it. April 20, 21, 22. And if you are here in, well, that's where Nick and I are in Humboldt County on April 22, Earth Day will be in McKinleyville. Uh, where people like me will have music and food and bouncy houses for kids and jugglers uh, and celebration. Yeah, we didn't even get a chance to talk about the post-capitalism conference or we didn't. Dishkamo, it, 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 but uh, It went fast. Yeah, we'll have to definitely have you back on. This was a lot of fun. I appreciated you reaching out to get the ball rolling on this. You're welcome. I, like, I got to say, like, I, 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 somebody just sent me this and said, like, this guy is interesting. You should talk to him. You should talk to him. And I watched a couple of your uh, podcasts and I thought, wow, he is interesting. I will reach out. So like, I'm totally sincere when I say invite me back on and I'll, I'll, we'll continue this conversation. Yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Do you want to plug again where everybody can find you, your websites, all your stuff? So so uh, listen, if you want to check out the, the work that I do nationally, it's at the U.S. Solidarity Economy Network or the upcoming conference is decolonizingeconomics.org. I'm really excited to tell you that I am an employee, not an enrollee, but an employee of the Wiat Tribe, uh, where we are, have created Dishkama Humboldt, which is a community land trust under the direction of Wiat leadership to say, how can we facilitate land back and housing and restoration ecology and uh, protecting uh, uh, culturally and ecologically sensitive places. How can I and you and anybody else learn how to be an appropriate guest on Wiat Ancestral Territory? Okay, well, David, really, thank you. I appreciate this. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Nick. (laughs) 